I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We are going back to the high for season five of the, the Connor and Smith Show. All right. It is a stormy, dark and stormy night it here. It is a dark and stormy night here. And that's the perfect time for perhaps a wicked witch to arrive uh, at your house or for a house to be dropped on her sister. At any rate, we're going to be talking to the Wicked Witch of the West for the opening of the Orstrom Bryant Theater, um, Dolly Stevens. Yay, Dolly Stevens! Clearly not just that role, but uh, many others walks us through being the first... Um, class. In, the first class of musical theater at Shenandoah uh, Conservatory. Yeah, right before, I guess, it was the university. I mean, yeah. So we'll go through all that. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be... We will be right back. Hello? Hello? Well, hello, Dolly. (laughs) I am joined by my husband. (laughs) I'm joined by my husband and co-host, Matt Connor. Hey, 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 Matt. How are you? Oh, God, who cares? (laughs) It's been a minute. (laughs) It has been a minute, and the world is on fire. I know. In more ways than one. (laughs) Yeah, and and literally. Yes, quite. (laughs) Absolutely. Where are you tonight? Where am I? I am in my home out in Strasburg, Virginia. Well, actually, I'm not in Strasburg, but that is the mailing address. I live about six miles outside of town. I live in the woods. I live on the side of a mountain uh, out in the Shenandoah Valley. Oh, my gosh. Is High Neighbor still uh, open? No. No, it isn't. That's actually been closed for... (laughs) A decade. A couple of, at least a couple of years. Wow. Maybe more than that. Yeah, I feel like it's been a couple of years. We all, uh, we used to always go to High Neighbor. Oh, yeah. The High Neighbor, that was the place to go. <laughs> and now, I don't know, it's something like the Old Dominion Dog Brewery, Doggery, something, I don't know. It's a hot dog place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Are you, are you from Strasburg? Not at all. Not at all. I am a native of Rockville, Maryland. And uh, I, I ended up here by virtue of the fact that my late husband's uh, uh, parents, really, well, grandparents really um, owned a piece of land, a rather sizable piece of land here on the side of Little North Mountain. And um, my husband died 11 years ago, and I inherited this land. And then about five years ago, I built a house here, which had kind of been our plan all along. But anyway, I, I built a house here. And so here I am. <laughs> Was that kind of like a little bit of a blessing to be kind of away during the COVID time? Oh, 100%. 100%. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the pandemic, as awful as it was in many ways for many people, it wasn't so bad for us. And I am repartnered, but it wasn't so bad for us because we're here anyway and we can be as isolated or not isolated as we want to be. And nine times out of 10, we kind of choose to be isolated. (laughs) 
right. to be honest. So yeah, no, it was, it was fine. I like a lot of other uh, teachers, I had to move my online or move my lessons, my private lessons. I was, had been doing voice and acting uh, instruction for a number of years and I had to go on to the Zoom, which who ever heard of Zoom before the pandemic, or is it just me? I didn't even know about Zoom, but all of a sudden we're all on Zoom. So I did that and I, I'm actually still doing it uh, and I've made it work. Is it ideal as it would be in person in a normal setting? No, but have I found a way to make it work? Yes, I found a way to make it work. Yeah. Gotcha. I will keep tapping it to keep it awake. Um, so speaking of Zoom, I mean, Matthew, you have the same experience with your studio, right? Well, my studio blew up. I ended up teaching 35 kids piano lessons online and they have not gone away. Oh, now well, what's interesting about piano is I learned on Zoom that I was actually taking the lesson with them. So rather than just standing around coaching them, I actually was redoing piano with them and it became a win-win um anyways but yeah and now i like you i still am in zoom you know partially yeah i don't <clears throat> I, there's a lot that i don't love about it the 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 biggest thing as i'm sure you know is that there is a delay i can't for example i can't sit at my piano and play da 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 da, -da, -da or whatever it is and you know there's a delay mm -hmm in what my student will hear right you know what i mean and yeah. it's that i it took quite a while to make that adjustment and now what i have to do and a lot of what i do really these days is more coaching than actual teaching right um and so i have my students and they're they're you know they're using tracks and whatnot uh and i just they have to play the track so that because it's more important that they hear the track then i need to hear them but they need to hear the track right so yeah you find little ways to make it work um what was your journey how, how did you find su <laughs> or did well, su found find you all right this is a 45 minute show right okay well you know, you know what who, who cares about time I, I will uh i will try to put it into a couple of short paragraphs so music was always my thing from the time since I can remember. And I was always singing and performing for family and friends. Okay, so I, in the 10th grade, I was going to be, I thought I was going to be a PE major because I come from a sports family. My dad was a professional baseball player, Philadelphia Phillies. And I thought that was my destiny. I was very athletic and so forth. Junior year of high school, my high school did production of Hello, Dolly. And I'd never done any musicals before. And I, but I thought, oh, well, Hello, Dolly. Okay, my name's Dolly. I'll go audition for this thing. And so I did, turned up with the lead. And <laughs> the rest, as they say, is history. But when it came time to be looking at colleges, I was, I, I kind of did that classic thing of allowing my parents to um, twist my arm, so to speak, 
uh, and convinced me that I should go, I should major in music education because then I'll have a teaching degree that always, that, that perennial something to fall back on plan. And so I went to Shenandoah initially as, uh, well, I went there because it was a conservatory. This is, this is not the days of Shenandoah University. This is Shenandoah Conservatory of Music, which I thought sounded very prestigious. And so I got in as a music major, as a voice major, and it so happened that that was Hal Herman's first semester on campus. Wow. We started at the same time. And the very first show they did, what he did, was Your Good Man, Charlie Brown. And once again, I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, there might be a spot for me there. So I auditioned, turn up with a part of Lucy, surprise, surprise. <laughs> and <clears throat> uh, that was it. I mean, I was the only freshman in the cast of six. And um, I went home for the holidays and announced to my parents that I was going to switch to music theater, that that was what I wanted my degree in. Now, at the time, I'm still a freshman at this point, and the music theater program did not actually exist. But Hal was hired in part to develop a theater program at the school and as it turned out, the year I was due to graduate was going to be the first year that any student could graduate with a music theater degree, with what is now the BFA Music Theater. Back then, it was a Bachelor of Music in Music Theater. That's actually what my degree is in. And the only difference between the two is that I had to take theory and a bunch of other music courses that I think BFA music theater majors now don't have to take. Right. They've kind of streamlined it a bit more, but that's kind of how it happened. Um, and so I, you know, I tell people my claim to fame, at least as far as Shenandoah is concerned, is that I am the first graduate of the musical theater program there. Now, my best friend at the time who graduated a year earlier than me, he, graduated, he had been a piano major and like me switched over, but he switched to the straight theater uh, degree, which I think, I don't know, was that, I think that was a, a BA in acting. Maybe yeah. that's what that was. And that is the degree he got. And he was the first one to get that degree a year earlier than mine. But yeah, that's how it all started. You know, I'm not sure what the what's happening in the program now. I know that both Matthew and I still have to take music theory and all that stuff too. So I, I wonder if it's been kind of phased out. Phased then. out, yeah. Well, I mean, we we were there 20 some years ago, so. Yes, exactly. And me, a lot longer than that. But my understanding is that over the course of time, a lot of the music theater majors complained about theory. Uh, <laughs> what a shock. What a shock, right? I mean, I liked it so much, I took it twice. Ha, 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 ha. Um, but I'm so glad I did it now because in a weird twist of fate, I use it a lot now, and much more than I ever did then. I mean, my feeling about it then was kind of like my feeling about stagecraft. It's like, why do I need to know this? 
Right. You know, I'm an actor. <laughs> I don't need this. Um, obviously, I was proven wrong many times over, <laughs> over the next 30 years. So. So after you're in the first class of musical theater, uh, music theater, what, um, what, what's next? What, what do you, okay, so you have this brand new degree that is like untried oh. or tested, basically. Well, let me just first say, Thank God we all had to take those other subjects because, man, during the pandemic and, and other times in our life, by God, have we, you know, relied on those other departments to pivot into other jobs or whatever. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I'm so grateful now for everything that I was dragged kicking and screaming through that wasn't just a straight acting class or, you know, scene study, whatever it might have been. Um, I, w I did a lot of whining about it then, but I'm very, very grateful for all of that now because I have used it. I have used it a lot. After you graduated, you head headed back to Rockville? Oh, no. After I graduated, I did what so many others did. I had $1,000 in my pocket and off I went to the big white way. And uh, to find my fame and fortune, where I was pretty much immediately served up a dose of humble pie. And uh, although I had a great experience when I was in New York, and I did a very horrible, forgettable um, showcase, equity showcase that was just wretched, but <laughs> I did it anyway. Um, so, yeah, went to New York, but sideline. I had a boyfriend who, with whom I had become very serious in my senior year of college. And he had another year to go at Shenandoah to finish. And uh, so while he was doing that, I was off in New York doing my thing. And then we decided to get married. <laughs> So I left New York at that point and came back to Rockville, got in over at uh, Harlequin Dinner Theater. And I guess technically Harlequin would have to be considered my first professional show, a uh, couple shows I did over there. Uh, but again, I enjoyed that experience tremendously. It was great. But then we took a job um, over the phone, he and I both, he, he was a business major, but he was a theater minor. And we took a job offered to us in Fairfield uh, by a guy in Fairfield, Tennessee to come down and um, they needed to complete the cast of some Rogers and Hart review. Uh, and they needed somebody contrasting with the soprano they had. So they hired me and they hired him to be the tech director. So we went down and did that. That was, that was a wonderfully dreadful experience. <laughs> I have a lot of dreadful experiences, but it's all adds up, you know, it's yeah. all uh, part of the, part of the sum. Um, but we did that. And then we just kind of went into a, a bit of a career free fall. And I had it in my head that I was not old enough at that time, what was I, 20, hmm, let me see, I was probably 25-ish, and I'm a character actor, right? So I had it in my head 
that I was, no one was going to hire me to play the roles that I was really right for because I was only 25. And I remember having this great conversation with Lindy uh, Han, and, you know, she was so supportive and wonderful and encouraging. And I she remember she said, you know, you have to, you have to live life before you can portray it. And uh, which I thought was a wonderfully profound thing to say and very accurate. So I said, you know, you're right. I might as well go out and do that. So that is basically what I did. I spent three years in, uh, in the early 80s in corporate America, um, which again, I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, but it definitely informed skills that I use today. So I am grateful for that experience. And then one day out of the blue, I got a call from Hal that he was doing uh, Hello Dolly at SSMT. And was I interested? And of course I was. And so that was my, so both times, well, the first time I did it in high school, I mean, it was high school, but then I did it again in college. And then when he called me in the mid eighties that he was doing it for the third season, the opening show to the third season. Matt, weren't you in that? Yeah, I guess that's the one we were together in when I yeah. was Barnaby. You played Barnaby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, there's been a lot of Barnabys and Corneliuses in my time because I've play, I've done that show five times now. It was uh, me, Dane Whitlock, Karen Hearn, yeah. Robin yes. Higginbotham. Uh, uh, Beth Green. Beth Green. Yes. Um, Mr. Herman wanted me to curl my hair so I would look younger. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure what he would do to, for with me today. He would say, uh, "Put a bag <laughs> over your head." He might. He might tell you that you're a little long in the tooth for Barnaby. <laughs> right. 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 Um, yeah, that's where we met, and then of course we went on to be together for the grand opening. Oh yeah. Yes, that was a wonderful occasion. And I have a lot of memories of shows and Armstrong and it was fine. But I mean, OBT is such a, uh, obviously a, a way nicer theater, uh, certainly for theatrical presentations. So um, I was happy to be part of uh, The Wizard of Oz the summer that OBT opened. Um, I really enjoyed that experience as well. So it's yeah. been an interesting journey. That was a that was a very magical, charmed kind of um, event. I mean, between all the alumni who were in the cast um, from years you know past, because um, we had what Dane Whitlock was. Um, no, actually, no. Peter Borzada. Yeah, Peter Borzada played the Tin Man in that production. Oh, Dane, Dane was, was the Scarecrow. scarecrow. Yeah. And yeah, Dane was and, a pro. And Rick was the uh, lion. Right, exactly. Gil was Oz. Gil Braswell. Yep, yep. And, oh. And I played the witch. And, um, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on her name. I love her. What is her name? Played Dorothy. Uh, oh, Maggie Portman. Yes, Maggie Portman. Yes. And she was, she was wonderful. Yep. I thought that show was really good and really strong. Do you remember anything about the dog? Oh, was it a real dog? Do yeah. I 
remember about the dog. Okay, you want to hear my dog story, my Toto story? I absolutely do because I, I think I recall during that production, the dog's owners had us out to their beautiful estate. Yes, yes. Uh, to swim. Yes, they did. They had us out. I remember, I remember being out there. The dog's real name was something like Mary Field or Mary Mayflower, Mary Flower, something, Mary something. It was a two-syllable thing. And, and uh, she was very sweet, but of course, not surprisingly, she didn't take too kindly to me, understandably. Well, so the production is going along. We roll up on a Wednesday matinee. And I had been having trouble as Miss Gulch. There's that scene where Miss Gulch comes to take Toto away. And the what I had to do was take the dog and put her in the basket and close the basket and then get on the bike and ride off stage. Well, Toto had been giving me a hard time about this. And it had been getting worse and worse over the last couple of shows. So Wednesday matinee comes up. And sure enough, that moment in the scene arrives. And that dog would not go in the basket. I mean, I was trying to stuff her in there any way I could get her in. And she wasn't having it. She was not having it at all. And I'll tell you how bad it was. The audience started chuckling because they could, they knew I was struggling. It was obvious that I was struggling to get this damn dog in there. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to kill this thing when I get off stage. Uh, Finally, finally, I got her in there after what felt like an hour. I'm sure it wasn't but it just was one of those suspended moments that it feels like it's lasting indefinitely and so the show went on between shows I went stomping stomping off to Hal's office (laughs) and I said I demand another dog (laughs) this dog has quit I'm telling you, this dog has quit. It's not getting in the basket. And I yapped on for, no pun intended, uh, just endlessly. And, you know, Hal in that way that he did, he was rolling his eyes. Oh, God, you know, here she is. So I said, I promise you, you will see. Come to the, come to the opening scene tonight and you will see. So he shows up <laughs> to the evening performance and I can't even, to this day, I can't believe this happened. We come up to that moment on the scene and that dog, that, can I, I don't know if I can say bad words. That bitch. (laughs) Yeah. She jumped in the basket eagerly, eagerly. (laughs) She jumped in the basket and I knew, I knew Hal was in the audience and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, you are a dead dog. You are a dead dog. <laughs> oh, my God. I'll never forget that, though. That dog was like, I'll get this little witch. Watch Yeah, this. exactly. I mean, oh she just went right in there. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. Yeah, it was, it was not funny at the moment. But now, all these years later, I can laugh about it. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I'm so glad I asked. Um, that literally just popped into my head. I was like, oh, God, I think I vaguely remember Dolly having to deal with that dog a lot. And I that's probably what I remembered. Um, what did you do in the show? Me? Yeah. Oh, God. Like, everything. Were you one of the, um, yeah. the um, jitterbugs? I was a jitterbug. I was uh, a, a winky. I was a... I was a crow. I you were a crow. Yeah, I remember you, Stephen. I remember you as a winky. And I used to watch you. I don't know why. Uh, it wasn't like creepy watching. It was just normal watching. I think because I either had an entrance or something. Somehow you were like a guide to me. It's like, oh, there's Stephen. Okay, now I have to go on. Or whatever it was. Something along that line. And, I think yeah. I think I was like the end of the line. Yeah, that might have been it. That I think that was it. Yeah. Yeah, fun that's... Show. Fun show. Talk about uncomfortable costumes. <laughs> we were like wider we couldn't walk through doorways we had to like turn sideways you would forget constantly that you were wearing it until you ran into something exactly. um but you know what we've talked about this before in the podcast like it's so amazing you know where you are when you're at school learning um the business and then when you actually get out in the business and you realize like every gig there are so many different a aspects to uh, maybe a beautiful stage versus a shitty stage or maybe wonderful dressing rooms to shitty dressing rooms. And it kind of all goes with just the way things are is, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I definitely found that to be true. But I I don't know. I kind of I feel like I looking back, I took it in stride. You know, it's like, oh, OK, this is where I'm changing. All right. That's fine. <laughs> right. But yeah, you're right. It's a pretty wide variety of of uh qualities shall we say and well you mentioned the harlequin and i i never of course um saw the harlequin but i remember lots of stories about i think maybe the kitchen that they had to prepare the food at the harlequin was in a different uh, location well it was in a sort of obscure part of the building it wasn't hmm. it was sort it was back in one corner if you will of the building it was awkward to to get to um but we had to you know we had to hustle i have no idea if this is how, what the scene is like these days in dinner theater but you know of course we had to go and get the drinks and then bring them you go and you do act one and then you come out in intermission and bring dessert and more drinks and settle the all of this oh my gosh i remember one time i had a table of 20 or 25 people and they stiffed me oh god they stiffed me and i got out there at the end of the show i hustled out there to you know you wanted to hurry and get out there and collect your tip money or what have you and there was nothing on the table and the ladies that I think it was predominantly women, they were leaving the building. They were they were leaving. And I followed them out to the parking lot. And I said, excuse me, was there something wrong with, with your service? And they said, oh, no, honey, it was just fine. And I <laughs> said, well, I, you didn't. It says the little sign on the table says your actor works for gratuities. And you you didn't leave a tip. Oh, well, we didn't know, you know, and then they threw a couple of bills at me but everybody's like you went out to the parking lot after a customer and i said yes i did 
that was a huge table. It was huge. But yeah, I really enjoyed uh, working at Harlequin. Um, once again, did I want to make a career out of working dinner theater? Absolutely not. <laughs> but uh, it was it was a great experience. One of my favorite dinner theater stories, and I'll make this quick, was... Um, this is a Phyllis story. It is a Phyllis Goldblatt story. <laughs> Do you know, have you heard of that name? Phyllis, what's the last name? Goldblatt. No, I don't think so. Phyllis was, let me describe the type Phyllis was. Phyllis was a Mazeppa. Okay, got um, it. A frequent role of hers in many different productions because she owned the costume. Okay. <laughs> and one just great story, the same kind of thing. She was stiffed, which you never did to Phyllis Goldblatt. This was either Toby's or Burn Bray. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, yep. And she went on the bus uh, and found the gentleman and said, you forgot to tip me. And he, he looked in his wallet and he pulled out a 20. He said, all I have is a 20. And she took it from him and said, that'll be fine and left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's uh, that that's very similar to what I did. It's just I, I, I you know, you don't know in situations like that are people just trying to sort of cheap their way out of it or do they really not understand do they not they'll see that little sign sitting on the table i don't know well my motto in life that i have discovered through other forms of work not theater is that nobody reads mm. that's that's just the life lesson no one reads so i i would like to give them the benefit of the doubt they probably did not read um yeah you're probably right you're probably right. They were very nice about it. And they immediately, you know, came forth with a tip that might have been 20 bucks. Um, so but you had said about other corporate work that you'd gone into. What kind of corporate stuff did you do? So uh, used to be, and again, don't know if it's like this now, but it used to be back in the day. God, can't believe I just used that phrase. Uh, that if you were an actor, but you needed uh, a side hustle, you needed, uh, you know, a regular gig to pay bills, you either waited tables or you tempt. And I decided I was living in Fairfax at this particular time. I'd been married a couple years and I decided I would get a temp job because oh okay I can do something for you know a couple of weeks or a couple of months or whatever the time is and still be available when shows come up and I want to go audition and I did this temp job was hired uh, with uh, GTE Telenet they were called I believe they claim to be the inventors of email if my, if memory serves on that <laughs> And um, I was a terminal inventory control specialist, which is a fancy way of saying that I uh, was in charge of all the equipment. And if it broke down, if your computer broke down, now this is a 1981-82 computer, so <laughs> not to be confused with what we have today, uh, but I was responsible for uh, getting that fixed. And I had a couple of technicians that um, worked with me. And anyway, I did it as a temp for a couple of months and then they hired me, oh, this is hilarious. They offered me a salary of $14,500, which I thought at that time, 1981, 
I thought that was like a million dollars. I was like, oh my God, I've never made that much money in my life. Yes, I will take it. Yes. I wasn't actively pursuing anything in theater right now because remember I had this idea in my head that I was too young to play any roles that I would otherwise be right for. So I thought, ah, well, I might as well go, you know, have a life for 20, 30 years and come back when I'm older and I'm finally castable in things. Um, and so I did that job for three years and, uh, and it was great again, you know, I knew on day one, I didn't want to do it forever, but it was good experience and has, re and really informed, here's the cool part that ties it back to theater flash forward, I don't know, 10 ish years, or maybe not quite 10 years, uh, eight years. I started the first youth theater program. Uh, company, your first youth theater company in Loudoun County. And I was able, I mean, I started the nonprofit. I did the whole thing, got the board of directors, did all this stuff. And a lot of the skills that I gained on that temp job, which became a permanent job, um, I used. So it, it was awesome for the time I did it. Yeah, it was great. Was that, that wasn't the theater that, company that you uh, worked with Carla Hamilton with, was it? No, Carla, um, Carla came after me. Uh, she, in fact, what the time I'm describing, Carla wasn't even out in Loudoun County yet. She came along later. And in fact, oh gosh, I, I was sort of on the way out when Carla came in and we actually did a two woman show together. That was uh, a lot of fun. That you was, know what? Yeah, that better. must be what I'm thinking of. I said to Stevie on the phone at some point, either driving to or from someplace today. I said, I think Dolly and Carla, if I can remember, you know, COVID has made me feel kind of a much older and much sort of like I might be a different person. Um, <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I was like, I know that that something happened. So it must have been this this show that you were working on. Yeah, we did it. It was actually in January of 2013 that we did the show and she was i don't think at the time i don't think she had started her main street theater her theater the thing that she started was really of a, a full-fledged community theater whereas what i had done was youth theater i had adults in my productions but they were supplemental I mean, the I tried to do things that, you know, featured youth of all ages uh, predominantly. So that was one difference. But we decided she wanted to do this series of um, shows that she called Take Two. And each one would have a different uh, theme, if you will. And the very first one, she thought, oh, well, you know, you've been this longstanding uh, pillar of theater in the community. And here I am now. And we've done a lot of the same kinds of roles and things like that. So uh, we did the show together and it was a blast. Brad, <laughs> Brad Watkins came to see it. Oh, my God. Uh, which surprised me quite a bit because we had both worked with Brad and I was very happy that he came all the way out to little Purcellville, Virginia. <laughs> to yeah. So, yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Now, I don't, I've never opened up anything 
as far as theater is concerned, if you were giving advice to someone about the business side of theater, non um, theatrics, what mm -hmm. were some things that you kind of really learned in your corporate world that was great to have, like uh, knowing how to maybe put together a budget or knowing how to maybe apply for a grant? No, all of that, all of that. I would say the first thing I would say is being organized which obviously is a skill you need in many different avenues of life. But being organized uh, is a good one. And also definitely understanding how to put together a budget. And uh, that was something that came in handy for me later when I uh, taught at, taught the, ran the after-school theater program at the middle school. Um, but anyway, we can get into that or not a bit later. Um, what else? Oh my gosh. Just manage people, managing people. You know, when I, when I ran, I ran the after school theater program at, um, in the middle school there in Percival for, uh, 10 years. And the parents of these middle school kids who would be in my cast were essentially my production crew. They and I, <laughs> I really need to write a book about how all of that worked because it was a well-oiled machine. It didn't start out that way, but it evolved into that. And everything I've done, uh, everything I did during that period of time, I think I drew on skills that I had picked up in the corporate world, just trying to, you know, have your proverbial shit together and knowing what you're doing and knowing what you want to accomplish and knowing how to coax people into bringing those visions to life and all of that good stuff. So. Yeah. And you, you guys with your, with your youth program, you put together sort of like a full scale uh, version of whatever show was picked or was it like reviews or sort of like um, scene studies? Oh, no, 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 no. They were full because I my philosophy is go big or go home. And so I would do I would give my best attempt at mounting a full scale $40,000 show. And at the time I was doing it, the people, well, the administration and the people who would would be in a position to say oh no you can't do that or yes you can they for the most part let me do whatever i want because we sold out everything and had to add performances um and part of that is because i fought the mentality uh that oh well you know they're middle school children they can't do this or that you know they're limited and I always fought that tooth and nail. No, they're not limited. They're limited to what you tell them they're limited to. And I set the bar really high. And because I came from a professional theater background, the, my bar was pretty high. It was right. a lot higher than other, even to this day, it's a lot higher than other uh, school theater teachers that I have observed. I go see their shows and I go, okay, well, this is boring and uneventful. Right. But our shows weren't like that. We had people coming to our shows that they would go, I can't believe these are middle school kids. Yeah. You know, and that was always, that was to me, um, 
the best recognition of of our success is that we just kind of elevated it and um it was great we did some fantastic shows but we always did fully fully mounted shows and i was not alone i was very fortunate for about uh, seven or eight of the 10 years I was there, I had this dream team uh, artistic uh, crew. The, they were parents, so their kids were in the show, but their kids were also very talented. But I had an awesome scenic designer, um, costume designer, um, set designer. I mean, I just had people that were amazing at what they did and they would come in, we'd have early production meetings and I would say, okay, well, here's my vision. And I would, you know, kind of walk through it and, and share it with them. And they knew exactly, they knew exactly what I wanted to create. So I, you know, again, feel very fortunate to have had them and to have been able to have worked with them for those years was great. So is that what kind of developed into your studio that you currently have with your students? Uh, not quite. My studio came out of, let me see what happened, what happened, what happened. I was run the, the theater company, the youth theater company that I mentioned that I started was called the growing stage. And I ran that for 10 years and then some other people took it over and it kind of fell apart, but that's another story. Um, and I uh, was offered a position, a teaching position at what was then called Notre Dame Academy in Middleburg, Virginia. Now I think, well, now it's defunct, but it, it I morphed into Middleburg Academy. At any rate, pi private Catholic high school. 273 students between ninth grade and 12th grade. And they hired me to develop a theater program, including curriculum. And I took that job because I thought it was an awesome opportunity. And I'm like, wow, you mean they're just telling me I can, I, I don't, I'm not walking into somebody else's template. I, I am being asked to design classes and uh, I was like, hell yeah, I'll take that. That is awesome. So I did that for a couple of years until I found out that, um, and no offense to anybody listening, but Catholics and I cannot really be good friends. Uh, we can have a speaking relationship, but uh, it didn't really work out. And um, I decided to leave that. And that is when I opened my studio, Spotlight Studio. And that's when I started bringing students. I uh, created a room in my house for my studio and, and uh, got students uh, to come. And I, you know, had a ton of them. And then a couple of years into that, I had um, a pair of students who had been cast at the local middle school. They had been cast as Belle and the Beast in Beauty and the Beast, which was the, the production at that end. And up to this point, I had no involvement with the middle school, none whatsoever. I didn't even know what was going on over there. Other than several years earlier, I had gone to them with this pitch hey, I'll come in and I'll direct the, you know, Bye Bye Birdie or something fun and easy that would bring people in. And 
and uh, I was I was told that that would be by the principal that that would be too distracting for the students. They'd get too worked up about the musical and they wouldn't focus on their academics. <laughs> yeah, don't get me don't don't let me go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> that's another podcast. That's a that's another podcast. Yes, exactly. So anyway, but um, I had these two private students and they were struggling with the vocals. And I was helping them uh, individually. I mean, they, 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 you know, went to school with each other. But uh, and then one day they came to me and they said, well, Mrs. So-and-so uh, told us that we should sing it this way. Oh, no. And I said, well, who's Mrs. So-and-so? Who are you talking about? Who, who's talking to you? And anyway, long story short, I went over there on a Friday afternoon to and sat in the back of the auditorium and watched a rehearsal. Oh my God, gentlemen, it was a train wreck. It was a train wreck. It was just this fella who had who I think was a special ed teacher there at the school. And it was one of those cases where, hey, we need somebody to direct a musical, anybody can, will anybody take this on? Right. So annoying. I hate that. Uh, and so this guy did it, but he really did not have clue one on what he was doing. It was just awful. And at the time I went over there, they were opening and I don't know, a couple, three weeks away. And so I went down there and introduced myself and I said, yeah, these two kids are my students. And, um, you know, can I, uh, can I help you with this? And the next thing I know, I was music directing the whole thing and uh, really and just kind of morphed into directing it because he had no scenes. Here's how he would work a blocking rehearsal. He would, well, I say he would block the dialogue. He really didn't. He just kind of let them wander around the stage, do whatever they want. And when it came time for a song, he would skip the song and pick it up on the other side of the song and they would wander. And I'm like, what, what, what hold up, wait a minute. What is happening here? Wait. <laughs> this is not right. <laughs> so um, long story short, I ended up kind of taking over the operation. And as it turned out, the principal at the time loved me, loved what we did and wasn't crazy about that other guy to begin with. So he was out and I was in, and that was the next 10 years. <laughs> wow. Kind of took over. So yeah, that was, that was quite an experience. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, and I don't think everyone realizes when they walk into to, to direct or be in charge of a musical that you, there's a, 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 a big plethora there of um, collaboration that, in, is involved and you can't really treat it just like it is a singular um, scene or a singular musical moment. It all kind of is this wonderful threaded tapestry. Absolutely. And absolutely. And there's a, well, you know, it, there's a process and there's, you know, there's vision and there's what, you know, you as the director are trying to create. And he had none of that. He just had absolutely no idea. So I was, glad uh for the opportunity to come in there and you know get make some positive changes and i would have and i i kid you not i would have 150 kids show up to audition for whatever the musical was and i that's the other thing i never cast more than 
like 45. That was my magic number because I said, I would rather give 45 kids a quality experience than cast whatever the heck they wanted me to do, you know, a, a ridiculous number of kids and somebody's the third tree in the back. I mean, you know, what is that? Or you pack them in the aisles. Nah, that was, that was never how I rolled on that. I wanted them all to have a good experience. And I really, what I was trying to do was turn them on to this thing that has been my passion my entire life. That's really, at the end of the day, that's what I was trying to do. And I think I was successful. It is unfortunate that they all peaked in eighth grade <laughs> and they went to the high school where a, um, uh, a fellow was there who just was not wonderful. Uh, would probably be the nicest way to say that. And uh, he lost a lot of kids in the program. They came over there to the high school, all, you know, high as kites on theater. And then it just kind of fizzled out because he did not have the, I don't know, je ne sais quoi. <laughs> he didn't have it. Right. And so, yeah. And there is a je ne sais quoi that is kind of unspoken, either... You know, we, we had a friend, a dear friend that used to always say when people were or were not magic. And it's kind of true. You know when someone's magic or someone's not. And you can Absolutely. kind of, it, and it's sometimes hard to explain why the person is not magic. Right. I have a new thing in my living room where I'll look at Steve and I'll be like, oh God, that person is just a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. a two-dimensional spreadsheet, just putting shit in different boxes. Exactly. Exactly. I used to have parents go, well, why did, so my child so-and-so didn't get cast in this or that. And I said, well, um, you know, they weren't, they weren't strong enough. You know, this is musicals. You have to sing, dance and act. And I can accept that maybe one you're not so good at, but you really need to be good at the other two. Yeah. <laughs> so give me two out of three anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So, but yeah, I always loved seeing that one that had the it factor and I did have several that went through. So that was, that was kind of cool. I really enjoyed that. I think that's what we enjoyed also about SU, you talking about, you know, giving a select few uh, a magical moment rather than, you know, sort of diluting it with more people. I felt like Shenandoah kind of gave us uh, an experience. Now yours, of course, was different because you were like the first of the first. Right. But, but, you know, you were a name. You weren't just a number. Right. Exactly. And that really is why I wanted to go to Shenandoah, even though at the time I made that choice, I was more focused or so I thought on music rather than theater. But I knew that I did not want to go to, for example, University of Maryland, where a lot of my friends I went to high school with, they went. And I was like, oh, my God, I would have no hope of passing a class with 150 kids in it, of which I was one. That just wouldn't. I'd be asleep on the desk. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted a small school experience. And you know what's so interesting now that I'm, you know, old as dirt and I kind of will be behind a table, maybe uh, casting something. I can almost see the different qualities in people based on their different schools. Oh yeah, you know oh, I can. I, I almost, I almost can see the one coming from Catholic and be like, oh, here they come. They've got the Catholic book filled yep. with music, and you know, it's just yep. interesting to be like, oh, because everyone has 
their different window into what they expect a person to to become. I I have also experienced that because I've adjudicated a lot of the high school, you know, gov school and, uh, you know, some of these other programs that the students have to go and audition for. And I mean, when they come in and they perform their monologue and then at the end of it, they do that thing where they say scene and I leave my chair because I'm like, don't do that. (laughs) Stop. Just don't do that. That's not cool. Yeah. I don't, who told you to do that? Oh, well, my my theater teacher. Uh, and right away, I'm like, oh, well, OK. Yeah. Don't do it because nobody in the professional world does it. It's dumb. Just stop. I remember working with a director once when I and someone said, when would you like for me to begin? And he said, you already have. <laughs> yeah. Meaning, you know, don't 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 start or stop just just become and be yes exactly it starts when you walk in the door (laughs) exactly well i see we're at 51 minutes dolly i have a few more questions before we go first of all as a an amazing actress and performer and friend that we know that you are is there is there still something out there that you're chomping at the bit to, to do in your sort of um leading lady character roles well, you know, yes. If I can make a pitch, uh, yes, there is. I, I, in no particular order, just as they pop into my head. Uh, and this is a throwback. Nobody even does this show anymore. But you know, um, I, I had my hand on playing Mame uh, back in the day, but was, but ended up being pregnant with my third child and he hired Chris Coop to come in and do it at SSMT. And she was wonderful. Love Chris. Um, but I, now I think, uh, I would love to play Vera. I would love to play Ursula in the little mermaid. That's a, that's a big one. I, I really think I would be perfect for that part. Um, oh gosh, I was, I was thrilled to be able to play Mrs. Lovett, uh, back a few years ago. Oh my God. I was just going to say that. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a hard role. That may have been the most difficult thing, uh, I think I've done. Um, just, well, you know, Sondheim, he can, he has his challenging moments, but, um, I, I, you know, it was great, but I just really had to work my ass off for that just to learn it. Yeah. Um, was, but, but that was, uh, that had been a bucket list thing. Oh my gosh. What else? What else? What else? Um, (laughs) I, I feel like I've been, uh, very fortunate to have been able to play a lot of things over my time. Of course I would, you know, cut off an arm to play Rose again. Uh, but I also feel fortunate that I've played her twice, but now that I am older, (laughs) you know, you always feel like, Oh, I know if I could just have one more crack at it, you know, I know I could nail it. (laughs) Well, and you also kind of like, as you age, you kind of go, like, I look back at roles I've played that I was probably too young to play when I played them. Yeah. And was like, if I could do it now with what I know now. Yes. Yes. And I think, and I go back to what Lindy told me all those years ago, that the more life experience you have, the more you can bring to whatever role you're playing. 
And I just, I find that to be so true. I think I'm a much better actor now than I was then for that reason. So I'm open to anything. Gentlemen, if you there's anything I can do for you, give me a holler. Cause You're always on our short list. I'm, I'm out in the sticks, but I do drive. <laughs> so I, I love yeah. that, that you said that, that Lindy said that. And my gosh, it what a better person. What a better person to have said that than her, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I had such respect for her and it has just always stuck with me and, and sticks with me now when I think, oh, you know, what irony there is in life and that all those years ago when I was too young, really, to play all those roles, um, but I did. Uh, and now, as you just said, I would I would be able to bring so much more to any or all of them. And uh, here here I am out in the Shenandoah Valley <laughs> in the woods. Well, uh, you know, me and Stevie have been working on shows before and we've met, you know, actresses or actors. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but, you know, you meet uh, these people who have not. I don't want to. Yes, I'll just say this. Have not been damaged. Yes. And everything is like, you know, beautiful song. I'm, I'm, I'm perfect for Disney, but I'm like, oh gosh, right. you got, you have no damage to draw upon. And like, right. how can, how, where are you going to find this in this show? Because this is, this comes from a heart, a beating heart. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I got plenty of damage. <laughs> <laughs> As got, do we all. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's uh that's uh, one of the, byproducts of living so long <laughs> that's right you're, you're gonna get damaged by all the debris that's floating around you know well and you right. know what we're lucky after this last couple of years and everything we are lucky to still be here i yeah. tell you that yeah oh yeah for sure for sure and we dodged the covid for quite well we dodged it completely until about a month ago when my youngest son came out to visit for the first time and six months and the day after he arrived he got sick and uh he he that he gradually improved he was only here for a couple days he went home and the very next day i got sick and sure enough it was covid but i i i got on the paxlovid the same thing they just put biden on or back you know a week ago whenever that was and i knocked it out immediately wow Partner Ezra had a similar experience. So as you say, I feel very fortunate uh, in many ways, but I was so happy that, you know, we're both fully vaccinated, boosted the whole, like every, everything that comes out that we can get, we, we get. Yeah. And um, I feel like it could have been a much different experience had that, had we not been vaccinated. So I'm glad about that anyway. Yeah. Well, Dolly, out there in, in your um, your house by the foot of the mountain, um, North Mountain, North Mountain, is there something that you just love? We always ask for what people are watching, recommendations of shows or things they've gotten into. So what what is like your downtime go to? Oh, that's a very good question. Uh, you mean with regards to something that I'm watching on my on Netflix, something like that? Sure, anything, anything, yeah. Um, well, I don't watch a lot of TV, and when I do, it's just something on my computer. 
Um, but I, we did just recently finish watching Ozark. Yes. And I, we were very dissatisfied with the ending. Have you seen that show? Yes. Yes, we have. I, we, we hated the ending. We thought, well, what is the message here? The message here is that these people can come in, wipe out an entire community, kill all these people in the process and get away with it. That <laughs> You know, we, we exactly, we kind of in our living room thought that that clearly was the point and was it sort of a pointed message of where we are in our society with letting people get away with shit? Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I, I, I was very unsatisfied with, with several things in that. And then, you know, unresolved things like what happened to the baby? What yeah. happened to the tree? Well, I mean, you know, they just, they left a lot of dangling particles. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. But in other uh, things that I do, I'm into genealogy, um, which actually, Stephen, I think that's how we kind of reconnected is that you had said something about the Salem witch trials or something like that. And I, I kind of jumped on that because in an ironic twist, I have, I, so 19 people were executed in Salem, 1692. And I descend from two of them, one from my mother's side of the family and one from my father's side. Wow. Isn't that, I, that really tells you everything you need to know about me. <laughs> well, and then lo and behold, you played the wickedest wish of them all. So I there know. you go. <laughs> it, how's that for uh, irony? Yes, irony indeed, irony indeed. But I do enjoy the family research, and I don't know. I I have chickens. I am a chicken, oh. so I we have eggs, and I don't have any roosters. They're all laying chickens, just eleven of them, and they are my. Uh, I refer to them as pets with benefits. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, they're great. They're spoiled rotten. But do you they're... get too many eggs? No, there's never too many eggs. I mean, we get, we don't, I thought we were getting, we have 11 chickens. I thought we were going to get 11 eggs a day. It really doesn't work like that. Today, for example, we only got six, but the other day we got 10. I mean, it really varies because they're, they're susceptible to, you know, the elements and they don't really love the heat. They, they tolerate cold much better than they tolerate heat. So, you know, I mean, there's various contributing factors, but um, I would say on average, we get between eh, seven and seven, eight or nine a day is probably our average. And do we they just, sleep in a house? Do what? Do they sleep in a little coop? They have a coop that my partner Ezra built. He's a carpenter, contractor, and uh, he built it. And it's, uh, it's kind of the Fort Knox of chicken coops because <laughs> we do have predators out here. Um, but they're, they're in, uh, they're in their own little Guantanamo Bay out there in the, in the coop and they have a little chicken yard and I let them out when I can be out there supervising them and they follow me around. I'm like, you know, mother goose, I walk around the yard and they all follow me. It's kind of hilarious. Actually, every once in a while, I post a video about that when I'm bored, I'm like, come on chickens, we're going to do some selfies. Oh, how cute. (laughs) I saw one uh, person on Instagram that I guess one woman that has a chicken in the house and, you know, he just lives in the house. 
Yeah, no, mine don't come in the house. <laughs> they don't come in the house, but, and I'm not sending them to college, but uh, they do get snacks, um, which I call crack. They have, they get crack corn, uh, but I have a little box labeled crack because that's what it is to them. It's like candy and I don't give it to them very often, but it's a good way to get them back inside uh, when I need them to get in, get back in there quickly. But I give them scraps and, oh God, these chickens, they eat better than some people. Right. <laughs> so, but I love them. They're fun. They're fun. And we mostly, we, we give away eggs. If I get into DC, if I ever see you guys, I'll bring you a dozen eggs. Well, thank you for that. We will take them. <laughs> and I love you very much. It's so great to hear your voice. Oh, it's so good to hear you guys too. And I love you guys. And I, I'm very honored that you asked me to participate in this. I've, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Oh, you were, you were, as we say, you're always on our list, Dolly. Um, so we, we, we're glad you could join us. And um, it's been so fun catching up with all these Shenandoah folks. And I know that everyone has enjoyed listening to each other's stories, even if they didn't get to know uh, one another as much yes. or knew of them. So uh, we, we're basically just making like an audio uh, library yearbook of SU. <laughs> I think it's awesome. I think it's great. I, I really do. I applaud you guys for doing this. It's it, it's a good thing because for all the reasons you just said, it's really fun to kind of hear everybody else's story. And and I, I would imagine in a lot of cases, you you find out things you didn't know about somebody, even if it's somebody that you've worked with for, you know, 20, 30 years. Well, it's also quite humbling to listen to everybody's story and realize that not everybody ended up being phantom on Broadway. Yes, exactly. And exactly. that, you know, life is life and we all deal with life. And, and that's okay. Yes, because Lindy said we needed life. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is all right, friend. Well, take care. I, um, take care of Strasburg and the okay. North Mountain. Okay. You all take care of yourselves and keep me in mind if anything comes up. We I'm certainly a will. <laughs> all right. Take care, guys. Thanks. Bye. So all righty. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us, Dolly. We really had a great time catching up and learning more about you that we didn't know. Um, we hope things keep going well for you and out on your charming, enchanted uh, cabin at the foot of the mountain. Yes, um, and we will keep our ears to the floor to collaborate soon. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to learn more about us, please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an ER. You can follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok under Connor and Smith, again with an ER. Please subscribe, share, do anything you can to get the word out about this podcast. We really appreciate it a lot. Um, join the Discord board. Description and link are in the description of this. And add to the late 90s music Spotify playlist. Uh, that link is also in the description. And we will be right back to you tomorrow with another SU alum. Until then, have a great night. Bye. Bye.